Before we start this episode of Dr Whodcast, we'd like to draw your attention to BLAM UK, a charity which promotes a truthful discourse of blackness through analysis of history by providing more diverse education for young people. Right now, you can donate to help BLAM organise free lessons on black history for children. And if you are a white fan of Doctor Who and want to continue to learn, educate and be more actively anti-racist, I'd like to recommend the podcast Woke Doctor Who, who have done several episodes on how race in both the fandom and the show has been portrayed. I'd especially recommend the episode Martha My Dear, which goes a long way to explain the toxic institutionalised racism that we as Doctor Who fans need to reject in ourselves and in our community to create a better world. So, Will, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about our special guest? I'm very, very excited about our special tech guest. Um, That's not what I asked. No, but I, I just wanted to say that before I gave the rating. Because the ratings, a, are, the rating's going to be brutal. Yeah, because the ratings are low. So in spite of the low rating, you are excited. I am ex- still excited, yes. Let the record show yeah, the you rec- are happy that Siobhan's on. <laughs> You're giving it away now. And still, I still haven't done my rating. Well, it's on. It, hopefully it'll be on the episode description. Yes, that's true. Yeah. No. I, yeah. Um, so I would give the give the guest a a, a seven or an eight out of ten uh, because I'm 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 giving leeway for an extra two to be a ten out of ten for how good his performance is on this podcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't rate my friends. So. <laughs> I, all, I would never do that to no, you. No, that'd be just rude. Um, but in all seriousness, welcome to the podcast, uh, the wonderful Siobhan Brown. Siobhan, how are you? I am very well. As uh, as the chaps know, my mother kept calling me to get chicken in and out of the fridge for reasons I can't understand. But I'm doing very well. Besides that, it looked. Did, was there was there stuff in the freezer that was on top of the chicken? Because that chicken looked squashed. There was a lot of other chicken on top of the chicken. Ah, I, I see. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And yes, that does sound like a biblical sin. I'm sure of it. But. Uh... <laughs> One of the obscure ones, like uh, not wearing <laughs> yeah. two different types of linen. And not eating prawns, that's very important. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Which of course I can't do anyway because it would kill me. Are you allergic to shellfish? Wildly. I, re- I never knew that. I didn't know that either. I swear I've eaten a prawn sandwich around you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I have. Yeah, but it isn't like carry in the air. <laughs> it's, it's not like peanuts. But would, would it kill you if it's um, like two metres away? Like, do I have to, do you have to social distance from the prawn? No, no, I'd have to go out of my way to try to eat shellfish, but it is a great way to get out of conversations I don't want to be in. What to eat? <laughs> what to eat? You just eat shellfish. EpiPen primed. Eat a prawn. Be like, oh, I have to leave, and then stick myself in the thigh on the way home. <laughs> do you just walk it everywhere you may run into an awkward situation with like a prawn in your front pocket? <laughs> <laughs> You've got like a golden case that like protects you until the moment. It's like like an old-fashioned cigarette case. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Full of like a warm prawn. If your if your enemy ever kills you, you're just like it's like a cyanide. Pill. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why does he need a cyanide pill if his enemies killed him? Because just because he's and does, oh, if his enemies like arrested him. Yeah, if he's about him. to like if his enemies about to kill him brutally, and he's like, I want a I want a like a, a good death. You eat the prawn. But actually, that's not a good death. It's if an you ever find prawn. yourself in Celtic warlord Britain, use the prawn. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, that's what our listeners want. Yeah, that's exactly. what our listener wants. Yes. <laughs> our listener. That's what Pam wants. Yeah, hi, Pam. Hi, Pam. 
Uh, welcome to the Doctor Who cast. Welcome right? to the Doctor Meaning. The Hood cast. And the thing is, we, we say it with a different inflection every time, Sean. What's your chosen inflection for the Doctor Who cast this week? It's going to be Doctor Who! As if he were falling off. Oh, very good. While very good. asking the name of the Doctor. It's like the Doctor Wilhelm Scream cast. But the Wilhelm, no, because the Wilhelm Scream never changes. No, that's true. Wilhelm Scream yeah. is always the same. Always the same. There are two constants in life. Death and the Wilhelm Scream. <laughs> and they're not mutually exclusive. Um, so this week we are reviewing the, I think, the highlight for me of season one. I think. I, well, you're entitled to that opinion. I am, and I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, which is the Empty Child, the... season one, episode nine. Um, I'm very excited to review this episode. I think it's, um, and I'm very excited to introduce our new, the guest character, who's Siobhan Brown. <laughs> yeah, what? Well, yeah, Siobhan Brown was in this episode. Um, no, but he Cass- was Nancy. Oh my god, <laughs> you as Nancy, Siobhan, I want to see. But not playing Nancy, just it, it's still you. It's still you, yeah. Dressed like Nancy, saying her lines, but not changing your voice or your behaviour in any way. If I could really get one of those very elaborate 1920s permed black women's haircuts for the uh, for, for the role, I would I would have jumped at that. Big sweeps. I want you. To, I just want you to chuck vases at a door. <laughs> Um, just a large one full of sunflowers at the moment. Well, sunflowers are the hardest part to keep alive in the world. I've, I've, I've bought my flatmate one sunflower before she went to Edinburgh. And she was like, keep this alive while I go to Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It died within a week. I then bought a replacement sunflower so she, so that she would never know. And then that one also died in a week. So I not only had to explain that why a sunflower died, I also told her the fact that this is the second sunflower that has also died. Um... Because even though it failed, you'd put a lot of effort into it. Yes, exactly. I was like, not well, only were you negligent, you were doubly negligent in trying to cover your negligence. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't know how it died. I did water it, um, but, I, but I, I left it out in the sun, and I don't think that it may. I, sunflower's called a sunflower, but I don't think it needs that much sun. So maybe that's the reason. Um, did you bleach so the it, bones of that flower until it died, Will? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> he put, put sun cream on it. <laughs> Back to 50, it got nothing. Um, so, Will, why don't you um, give us a brief rundown to um, the plot of this episode, and I will put it on a timer so that you don't ramble. Great. Go. Okay. So, the Doctor and Doctor and Rose are tracing a, a thing through space. They don't know what it is. Looks like space junk. Maybe dangerous. It's mauve. Um, they arrive in L- London. They don't know what time. Um, the, the Doctor walks into a cabaret bar and he's like, Oh shit, it's 1941. Rose, for some... Don't know how, she gets on a barrage balloon. I have no idea how that actually happens. But she gets on a barrage balloon. We then get introduced to Captain Jack, who's amazing and sexy. Saves Rose, gets trapped to beam down. And then everyone's empty. <laughs> And that is the whole episode, apparently. Yeah, I, I, because I, every time you do it, you give like loads of detail on like the first five minutes, <laughs> and that takes like thirty seconds. Well, I just, I just want people to have an idea of the, the opening of it. I want to know. I want people to know like the main facts. I didn't mention anything about the plot. I just mentioned <laughs> that a piece of space junk is coming towards the Earth. That's all I said. Oh, that's fine. Gas mask um, zombie terrorizes nineteen forties London. 
Why don't you do it next time? No, I'm joking. Because I'm better <laughs> at it and it wouldn't be as funny. That's true. Yeah, I just like tangents. Um, but yes, um, Siobhan, what are your um, first thoughts about this episode? Um, what do you what do you like? What do you not like? Um, about the episode, not generally. Yes. <laughs> what I liked about The Empty Child is I had forgotten how genuinely terrifying it was. I, I watched it um, alongside you guys. I watched it last night by myself in the house drinking rum and coke while having a takeaway for one. And uh, there, were, there, were mo- there were moments when I would genuinely yelp and look around and hope that no one had seen me being embarrassed by this show for children. <laughs> <laughs> I really love Nancy. Nancy's a brilliant character. I'd forgotten mm. how how no nonsense, no bullshit she is. Like, really no no bullshit. And then you realise by the end of the episode that she's actually an adult woman and that makes sense now. And you and you remember that she, yes. she, she yeah. I I also appreciated and had forgotten how intensely gay all of Russell T. Davis Doctor Who was. It's so so <laughs> opens with the colour mauve. Ridiculously gay colour. Mauve. <laughs> Why is that the colour for danger? Red is campy. Everything is campy. Dance is mentioned at the very top and then comes back again later on. It's just things I didn't like. The CG is awful. The CG is terrible. The, uh, the, yeah. Uh, question is, is it terrible for the, for 2005? It, I feel like it's terrible for 2005 because those, those German planes look straight out of, like, like word art. PC game. Yeah, they're, they look bad. The sky looks bad. It looks like the flight simulator, like, oh. actual ones. <laughs> like, that's how, that's how shocking it looks. Um, but the weird thing is, I, I would watch the Doctor Who Confidential for this, and they said they've done a new new technology for CG, which is like I think it's called photo vision or photo, where they supplement photos on top of the image of the of the plane and of Westminster of um, Westminster Abbey. Is it Westminster Abbey? St. Paul's, Paul's Cathedral. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, and so they put photo, they do the CG and then they put photos onto it. But I'm I just thought about that. That A sounds stupid and B sounds like the same logic they used in like the Golden Eye nineteen ninety-seven video game. Everything is two D. Like how is that gonna work? Well, what, what I found quite interesting is that you, you pointed out that the space Captain Jack's spaceship actually looks quite good. Mm. And it does because it's standing still. Yes, exactly. Because it's yes. just a it, it's just a a graphic designer's done that and it looks good. Mm. It's as soon as you get anything to move or try to put two textures together that it just looks odd. Yeah. And I like the scape they create. I like the idea of like the the grey, the, the grey and white and it looks very smoky and I like the yeah. sort of fire along things. The colour palette of this episode is great. Yes. It's just the execution of the SG, SGI? The SGI. <laughs> Stargate SGI. Do you have an SGI? Yeah. <laughs> I've had several of my time. Sorry, Mum. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I love this episode as well. Um, I'm a, I'm it's very camp as you said. Um, I think just it's it, even before John Barrowman gets in, like even the dialogue is camp. It's actually like it doesn't really mean much. It's, it's a lot of it's like throwaway and then like. Do, not... you, th- do you think it's like I, I kind of before he comes in, it's more for me. It was more banterish. Um... And not and not that they're mutually exclusive, but. It did feel more. It felt a bit more old married couple squabbling. 
No. <laughs> no, honestly, I don't think that's fine. Um, I think, I think, I think, unlike a lot of episodes where it's like the, the dialogue between the two characters is more like I always think about like the first couple of things. It's like you look beautiful for you or whatever Christopher Eccleston says in like Unquiet Dead. That's all considering you're human. Whereas this is this is like focusing on very specific weird things about like mauve and about that whole first scene where they're wa- they're walking from the TARDIS and they go round the corner. Um, they're just talking about random shit. Can, can and we, get, can we talk about that corner? Because it was we, very clearly they built like one street <laughs> to film <laughs> on. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to go back round. Yeah. What's that illusion they have in Inception where they, that you have like, the staircase that never ends? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's that. I feel like it's that. They might have just like flipped the mirror of the camera and flipped it. Um, it did feel like the Escher staircase of cheap set design. And I was like, they don't feel like they're going anywhere at all. They're walking in a circle. They... I'd love it if they kept going round, but the TARDIS wasn't there. And it was very clearly going round in the same circle to have a longer conversation, like Aaron Sorkin or Amy Palladino style. <laughs> but I, I do take Will's point that the conversation at the start of the episode is... Uh, so incredibly trivial. It's about colours, and it's about Rose's ugly, ugly t-shirt, and it's... Um, it's about yeah. Star Trek. It's about, it's about Star, Star Trek. Trek. And that's fucking camp. And it's, it's the yeah. original series, not Next Generation. Which Next Will Gen- is angry at me about. Oh, yeah. I... <laughs> not saying <laughs> words. Have, have, you, um, have you seen our Facebook page, Shabon? I, I haven't. I haven't. I, I invited you to like it. But the cover photo... That's, that's the, that's the, I'm just going to say, that is the case with every Facebook page. The amount of people who invite me to like Facebook page is changing. And I'll like and just I'm so like, the notification No, it's fine. I, I, just, very, I didn't see that notification. a very, long list of invites to Facebook pages. And most of them are from people from the town in which I used to live trying to make me um, like um, support the pyramid scheme. And I'm always like, I, have, I don't want... I don't want to. I'm help a big supporter of pyramid schemes. <laughs> um, no, so I started the Facebook page for the podcast last night, a week after the first episode came out. Yeah, we're, we're really on top of it. Yeah, social media. and um, Will texted me saying, "Why is the cover photo the cast of Star Trek: The Next Generation?" <laughs> and my reply was, "Because they won't expect it." <laughs> Charlie's like, this is genius. It's a misdirect. Obviously, it's not about Star Wars: The Next Generation. It's called the Doctor Who it's cast. St- um, but but no. So I. Well, so we're changing it. We're changing it. But we've. I, I've had a day to feel clever. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna leave it. For today. <laughs> leave it for tonight. You're like, I'm gonna sleep on it. Yeah. <laughs> it was so obviously a bad idea, but I did it anyway. Um, it's yeah. the kind of idea that you have to commit to and you have to like week on week just keep putting in new Star Trek casts otherwise it wouldn't make any sense and not add any qualifiers to not yeah, like make a joke about why. do it completely with a straight face that would be funny if we changed every every week for the next five weeks we have like Star Trek Next Generation Star Trek Deep Space Nine Star, <laughs> Star Trek, Trek Enterprise Voyager, Enterprise <laughs> the new one Blake Seven <laughs> Blake Seven, Captain <laughs> Scarlet, <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. <coughs> oh dear. Uh, Do you know that one of my first ever Facebook photos is Thomas the Tank Engine? I don't know why. I, no, I, I, I think I know. Far. I think I know why it is. Because there was a period where everyone, there was like a weekend where people were like, oh, change it to like your childhood TV series this weekend. Well, there we go. I that's think that, what that's is. what it is. Because lots of people were like choosing Rugrats and stuff at the time. Well, I didn't get the memo, but I noticed people doing it. <laughs> yes, it was it was a social trend, I believe. Yes. It, it was it's what the kids call 
a sociological phenomenon. <laughs> Is that what the kids call it, Charlie? That's what all of the kids are calling <laughs> it. That's what all of the kids those are their, they, Those are their they, first words. Ch- ch- children love to use academic discourse when describing trends. Yes. I don't know, it's not our generation anymore. I mean, actually, to be fair, yeah, generation... What is it now? The, someone was Z. talking about this the other day. What's this generation called? This, generation Z. But what's this, yeah. like, the, like Millennials. the Babies Now that's oh, born? Oh, Babies Now? Yeah. Um, fucked. Corona Kids? Oh, no, no. Oh, God, let them uh, not. Do you, know, do you know what? I wouldn't put it past, like, the the, the people who name it to call them that. Call them unlucky. How about that? <laughs> unlucky. The unlucky generation. God. I mean, they did call the whole generation the silent one, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> the very quickly warming generation. <laughs> oh God, yeah. The warlords, the global. Ha ah, ah, ha! It's too hot. Generation. Thailand's meant um, to have 120,000 uh, babies from uh, uh, from the coronavirus lockdown, and they will be coronavirus children. Yeah. Oh, God. So he's just baby boomers again. Yes. He's having new baby boomers because the last ones worked out so well. <laughs> Sorry, Mum and Dad. But speaking of baby boomers, 1941 is a setting for this episode. And baby boomers came later, but shh. Oh, thanks um, for remembering this is a Doctor Who podcast. I just tried to... I tried my best. Um, <laughs> so, what, um, what do you think the impact of setting this episode in 1941 wartime Britain is? Because I think what's good about this episode is unlike a lot of... Unlike a lot of historical episodes, especially from Ross T. Davis era, where they, they go to a historical context... Um, battle an alien which is usually literary led like the witches in Shakespeare or the ghosts in um, Unquiet Dead and then or they'll meet a political Agatha thing. Christie or Agatha Christie you have like a well that's a wasp oh but that, that's Unicorn and Wasp is a book isn't it or the wasp is a book in an Agatha Christie novel anyway well, doesn't I don't matter. know doesn't matter I just read Poirot anyway um, but th- unlike that this this one the, the setting matters in terms of the emotional resonance of the characters like it writes Nancy better and it's and yeah. but it's not integral for the plot and it's not you're not meeting a famous historical figure no which I quite like about it what do you think about the 1941 setting I, I think it I think you're absolutely right I think it's fantastic that the characters interact with the setting mm. and it adds a framework for the interactions to take place the doctor's in a club that then closes because they have to go to the shelter and that and that's how that scene ends he finds Nancy during an air raid where sh- she and a bunch of local kids are eating a family's food. And I think one of its great strengths, as opposed to, say, The Unquiet Dead, which doesn't tell you a great deal about Victorian Britain, although maybe about Victorian Cardiff, I don't know, is that it shows you much more about how ordinary people are living, mm. as opposed to... And also the main threat of the gas mask zombie is rooted in a very human thing of losing someone in the air raids, which is what we know was happening at that time, as opposed to the Gelth, which are, like you said, much more literary, much more gothic creatures who we don't, who aren't rooted in anything human, except obviously for death. Mm. What do you think, Shimon? I hadn't realised that all the children... Nancy was looking after the uh, the the homeless children of London. I, it's 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 a very quick mention, but when the doctor's like, "Why are all of you here?" and some of them are like, "But there was a man where I was," and I was like, "Oh, Russell yes. T. Davis talking about child abuse," 
um, for evacuated children. And it's something that you just don't think about, but it's that context informs so much of the show, of the episode. Yeah, that wasn't in Dunkirk. That wasn't in Dunkirk. Even Rose going up on that uh, <laughs> on that barrage balloon again. That rope comes from nowhere. I don't know why she thinks it's a good idea to climb it. Do you climb ropes that appear from nowhere? Rose does. But... <laughs> Rose is stoned. That is the only way we can rationalise this entire season. Yeah. Well, she was. she's stoned because she's like, oh, look at the rope. Look at the fun colours. Oh, look at that. And then, like, she's, she's like, really competent in this episode, which I also think is a stoner thing. She's like, oh, I'm going to play an act. I'm creative. Like, you're like creative Yeah, mind. and the fact that she commits so hard to the time agent thing. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, because we're time agents, Doctor. Yeah, stoned. <laughs> stoned. stoned. And also stoned. the fact that Jack Absolutely. knows that she's lying because she's not as good a liar as she thinks. He's like, yeah, you're not time agents. I know that. I love that bit. Um, I think season one Rose is stoned, season two Rose is coked up. I disagree. I think season two Rose is on mushrooms. Oh my god, why? Um, <laughs> because she's just like the weird giggling. It's like the weird giggles you get. Well, I've I've heard um, from when from when you're on like something like that. But think of her in like the Satan Pit. Um. I just, I, yeah, I, I'm now thinking about her in the Satan Pit, but in, in, I can't think of her. I can't think of her being. Well, that. you know what? Do you know what? I feel like the Satan Pit is the one episode she's fucking sober. No, I think she because she like just steps up so quickly, but goes like up to eleven. But I think in the Satan Pit, that's okay because everyone's so very, so very afraid that they all seem like that that they're on coke because they don't know what's going on and they're frantically trying to get anything done and most of them, they're doing lots of psychobabble that leads nowhere, again, like if you're on cocaine. <laughs> also, school, also school reunion. School reunion, um, Sarah Jane and Rose's conversation reminds me of Heather Graham and Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's exactly it. Oh my god! Right down to how it ends. <laughs> be my mom. Will you be my mom? Oh my god. Oh. Um, okay. We will talk about this when we get to season two. Yeah, we yeah. come back for school reunion. Yep. Yeah. Oh yes, please do. Oh yeah. After that, Boogie comparison, I have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, oh, Boogie, I love Boogie Nights. I watched Boogie Nights the night before and then try and see if I can see that. <laughs> yeah, instead of watching Scorpion, I guarantee you, you, I guarantee you, you will not. <laughs> um, just going, just going back to the um, Mickey the, is William H Macy. <laughs> just going back to the um, the setting idea, like. I think there's this idea, this this rose tinted spectacles we use again, funny pun, um, through um, looking at World War Two and like patriotism in this episode. And I think that like it, this episode does a really good job of addressing what World War Two was was like for the 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 people in Britain who were at the at the fringes, so to speak, and left at home, um, and left at home exactly. Um, it's not it's not about like. It's about the every. It's, it's about when the doctor has that speech to Nancy later on about like, at first when I listened to it about when she talks about her losing a brother, and then he goes into this tangent about like you little island, you're amazing, etc. At first I get really annoyed about that speech because I'm like it doesn't seem like that. Um, the, her talking to him talking to Nancy about 
um, her brother dying and then using an allusion to the war um, is anything to do with that. But actually, I kind of read it on level now of like, no, it's it's the it's Nancy saving the world by just by just being amazing yeah. in the everyday of so, her contempt of London. It's you're amazing because you're doing this. Yes, and it's yes, people on the front line risking their lives are heroes, but they wouldn't even be able to do that if you weren't holding s- strong in your own way. Yes, and helping people in your own way. And I don't know whether or not it's it's a budgeting thing, but. I really notice how empty London feels in this episode compared to like other episodes where London feels very full, even though it's filmed in Cardiff, but you have a real buzz, you have a real life, but because so many of the people are away or evacuated, you get the sense of a city that's only half full Mm. and there's something like quite, quite powerful about that. That sense of setting and forming how the episode plays out the fact that the city is empty makes it prime for horror it's a really great horror setting then because it's just this terrifying child in a gas mask wandering these empty streets and that's a that's a really great horror visual Mm. i think that the whole setting for this looks very much like the first ever episode of doctor who um in 1963 is that right yeah because it was the weekend that jfk was killed yes um the empty the um the unearthly child not the empty child the unearthly child it looks very much like that barren like almost black yeah. and white wasteland of London um, that, that 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 episode creates, and I quite like that. It it's, it feels like referential to that kind of time, um, and not even to that time, but to that wasteland idea um, that is in that first episode. Um, shall we move on to the Doctor? Well, I'd I'd like to start by asking to you: Is this a Doctor episode or a Rose episode? For me, this is a. Oh, it's very difficult because it's it's almost like the Doctor and Rose at the beginning literally just go off to separate storylines. Yeah, I place more importance in the Doctor storyline over the Rose storyline, um, but that's not to say that Rose because I think with Rose's storyline, Rose is the Rose is the the gateway to the audience that allows us to introduce Captain Jack. Yeah, and we'll a, talk about that in a sec. Yes, whereas the Doctor in the, in this part of the part of it anyway is the the story about the empty child is told predominantly through the Doctor. Yeah, that, that's I, I agree. Um, and Rose's story feels much more like a B plot in this episode, and it becomes an A plot in the next episode. That's the yeah. thing: is all the stuff that Jack says now is like it's foreshadowing the the the, the twist that happens in the next episode, but mm. it's not necessarily relevant to this one. Rose arrives with the information that's pertinent to the situation towards the end of the episode, and they finally join back up. She spends most of the episode just being so incredibly horny for Captain Jack that it has to be the Doctor has to be the A plot because the the A plot can't just be Rose and Jack make I want to fuck you eyes for forty minutes because that's not television that you. What What's interesting is obviously I think Rose and Nine are great together but there are things in this whole season some of my favorite moments are bits where one of them is without the other because you see them in different contexts and that includes the doctor with jabe in end of the world mm-hmm. him with charles dickens in the unquiet dead um and also rose's stuff with her family it's seeing them in different contexts that fleshes them out and makes their relationship more develops because you see them outside of it. Yeah. So, 
Um, we've been very patient. I think it's time that we talk about Captain Jack. <sighs> this episode's going to get a lot more horny. Uh, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> Lockdown has been not kind on my horny soul. And Captain Jack <laughs> is exactly what I needed to this time. I am the token straight. Um, so do you guys want to have, do you guys want to have a go at this? Um, Siobhan, why don't you start? Just, just talk to me about Captain Jack in general. I had forgotten how much of a heartthrob Captain Jack is. Like he has this, 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 this big moment set aside in the episode just to reveal how handsome he is when he turns. Yeah, he literally has a close-up, <laughs> pan-up of like where he just goes, ha-ha, <laughs> it's perfect. John Barrowman's beautiful laughing face and that is like, no, no, this this is essential. This is a very important moment and we need to keep it there. And then seeing him uh, wander off, slap that soldier's bottom and leave the room. What was that like in 2005 for you as a child? Because I do not remember him being quite so openly queer. Well, I, in 2005, when I saw it, I think I was like, I, I think I was just blown away by this man on television. And I always, I always credit that Rusty Davis and I, I Rust, and it, Stephen Moffat wrote this episode, but Ru, Rusty Davis, it's on his time as showrunner. Rusty Davis introduced the character of Captain Jack. And for me, he was the first gay, like almost superhero, or at this point, like con artist, super villain that I'd ever seen on TV. Um... And as opposed to the gay best friend or any any types of roles. And that made him just extra sexy to me, is that he was a man of action. Um, what I found really fucking interesting is watching the next time, um, you my, my, you didn't see the long um, Father's Day last week, but the next time for this episode, it only shows him flirting with Rose. And so you think he's going to be this straight Lothario, but then he, like, he subverts that in the first like 20 seconds. And in this episode, it's not explicitly told that he's like this pansexual alien, but just it's it's. I like the fact that in this episode, it just it just it's it's almost unclear what his sexuality is defined by. Um, but yeah. that's even that's even hotter because he's like giving it out to everyone. I hadn't thought of, of of Captain Jack as being sort of the uh, the first televised gay action hero we had had, but he yeah he he is. He when really, did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang come out? Oh yeah. Do you know what? I but think that's that around was... about the same time. No, 2007, 2006? I, I think so. It's shortly before Iron Man. But also, Val Kilmer yeah. isn't gay, so it's it's it, it's also less meaningful because it's not a gay actor. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, pres- the other, that's the other thing. That lot, not a lot of the time, gay people on television were playing straight roles and straight people on television were playing no, gay Kiss, roles. Kiss Bang Bang came out in the same year. Oh, well, there we go. 2005 was the year of Shane, <laughs> Shane Black is an activist. You heard um, it here first. There is there is also the fact that John Barrowman, it 2000, I suppose it was filmed in two, December 2004. So 2004, John Barrowman is fucking hot. Like he's he's still hot, and he's got silver hair now, so he's now a daddy. Um, but like, <laughs> but he is he is just he just looks almost like so fucking porcelain. He so, he just like he's a pretty boy. In this episode. He's a twunk. He's a twunk. He's a twunk. Captain Jack is a twunk. <laughs> now, if you're like, is a... now, if you're like me and don't immediately know what twunk is, a twunk. go to our Twitter page. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's it's a mixture between a, um, a, a twink and a, a hunk at this point. So it's a buff twink. It's a buff twink, exactly. I like uh, was, um, Captain Jack's 
only method of conducting business seems to be trying to sleep with people. There doesn't seem to be any other way that he operates as, as trying to do business deals. It's just Are all time agents like that? I'd like to know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've Torchwood, you would get introduced to another one. And he's really? and he's equally as... He is, he is similarly horny. Yes, James Masters plays him, who played Spike, another childhood crush of mine. Oh, God. So Torchwood was horny <laughs> enough for you as it is, and then that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Just for context, Charlie... Jack Harkness and um, was it John Harker? John, what's his name? Um, yes, it's something like it that. Something so yeah. It's it's something like a play on words of John, like John. Also a reference to Dracula. Maybe actually. No, maybe that is maybe that's where I'm getting it from. I'm not gonna anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, but he, they walk in, they run towards each other like they're old enemies, and then they go to each other. They start making out clear out a bar of drinks and they all like they all smash on the floor and then start punching each other and kissing each other and having a full fight so that is time agents that that is our only other look into time agents and they were partners but on the on the on uh, like time agent partners but uh partners in the 51st century is a bit more uh a bit more fluid so to speak i need to watch torchwood watch season two don't watch season one yeah season one it, is it- Speaking of 51st century, uh, the doctor, when he's saying to uh, Rose that the human race went out, you know, to, to, to look across the universe, and she was like, what, just to bang? Why is she surprised by this? Why is she surprised yeah, by the human race to go out to space and bang? <laughs> when she's horny for literally every guy they meet. <laughs> like Captain Jack, Adam, <laughs> the face of Bo. <laughs> No, I thought she was. I thought she had more of a thing for the Mox of Bahoon, really. I mean, uh, that makes <laughs> thing, but that's because we love the Mox of Bahoon. We love the Mox of Bahoon. Um, <laughs> why don't we just call this podcast? I like the Doctor Who po- who'd cast his name. We'll cut this, but do we just call it the Mox of Bahoon. <laughs> that's the name. Because we'd have to talk about the Mox of Bahoon all the time. Yeah, that's true. And there's how limited is, how content. Is episode, season one, episode nine, relate to the Mox of Bahoon. What <laughs> new light does it shine on, on the mocks of Balloon. big naked blue space lawyer? Yes. <laughs> and his characters characters like the mocks of Balloon are so Russell T. Davies. Oh, what is it? It's a big blue naked space lawyer. What? What do you mean? <laughs> with a with, with like the, the the thing that he sits on, like with a with a, like, a metal bit just covering his penis. Just, just. covering it. <laughs> it's the equivalent of like a metallic loincloth. Um, it's great. Um, but, but I want to see that. Um, but back to John Barrowman. He is, he is sexy in this episode. I will say, I, watching, re-watching it this time, he's a lot more sleazy than I'd given, given him credit for. Um, maybe because I I remember Jack being mu- like later on episodes of Jack probably more vividly um, when he's a bit more um, on the good side so to speak. But it's that shot where he's like getting the nanogenes, giving the nanogenes to Rose, and he's like bending o- bending up to like get the nanogenes out, and he's like he's got a face like he's like ugh, ugh, and it's <laughs> gross. It's just fucking gross. If you can't see that, which is everyone but us. The face Will just pulled is exactly what you think it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it yeah. really, really was that. Um, 
But in general, he's Captain Jack Hong, so I don't really care. It's really annoying. It's, it's very good writing that Rusty Davis has made a character who should not work on so many levels as being like a, like like a terrible human being who uses sex to get places. Um, and yet, because A, John Barrowman sells it so much, and B, he's written as so charming, he gets away with it. And that's not okay. <laughs> that character should not work. And should still not continue to work. The fact that he's brought, been brought back for season 12 of Doctor Who shouldn't shouldn't have happened. It should, like, Me Too should have shot, shut that down immediately. Like, it's not okay that it's back. But he's back because he's fucking great. I always thought he was a bit... He always seemed a bit more sleazy when he comes back with Tennant and Martha. Yes, and and do you know why? Because Jack Harkness fancies that Doctor more. True, but also <laughs> he's gone through like more. So, so maybe like he's not like this cool time agent anymore. He runs like a shitty branch of Torchwood in Cardiff. Oh, in season one, he's a bit more of a loser in that <laughs> yeah. in that story. And season one, he only he's um I I think he's quite sexually repressed in season one. He just goes around like glowering at people. He's really that is not what repression looks like. (laughs) That's true. But he's having sex with Yanto, but it's like behind the scenes and etc. I'm like I imagine like the 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 next time. Oh, season one of Torchwood. Season one of Torchwood. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant season one of Doctor Who. No, season one of Torchwood. He just glowers at people and just like oh. Mm, mm, have sex with me behind the camp, behind the scenes, Yanto. Oh, 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 hate people, hate people. Oh, I've got a really dark past, but I'm not going to say any of it because I'm because because I now have to be the doctor. That might be more of a workplace might... thing. Maybe Jack thinks HR will find out. <laughs> HR in Torchwood or for the time agents? HR. I don't think there is no. There HR is no. There is no HR for time agents either. <laughs> you see that horny, dis- <laughs> <laughs> that horny display. There's if no- there were HR, if there was HR for Torchwood, Tracy Ann Overman would have gone. <laughs> She's mean. She doesn't create a positive environment. <laughs> And she's kind of racist. Not Tracy Ann Oberman, I mean Yvonne. Yeah, we need to make this clear. Like, We're not we... talking about Tracy Ann Oberman. I remember actors' names rather than characters' names. So when I'll say like a, an actor is like this, I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> not, that's not the case. It's so much easier if the actor's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, very true. That was so funny. My ear- earphone popped out. Um, let's... Tracy Ann Oberman is lovely and I've met her and she's great. Have you? I met her at synagogue. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very nice. Um, was it nice? Was she nice? Um, we. I was wondering whether or not to leave this until Army of Ghosts, but no. So I. I said. I said. I never told you. You know. You look a lot like Tracy Ann Overman. And she said, Yeah, no, I'm. I'm Tracy Ann Overman. I was like, Oh, cool. Cool. Well, you know, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Um, you're good in Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> you're in um, The Infidel, which is great. Uh, and my parents were like, Leave Tracy alone. <laughs> We need to talk to her about this event she's supposed to be speaking at. Well, Tracy, when the when Doctor Who was doing all those lockdown viewings, um, I believe. I yeah, she did. She she did, she did she, one. She did like a she she did she was was tweeting the whole time of it. She loves it. She did like a message. She pretended she was she was Yvonne again. Like she's she's loves we'll, this we'll, part. We'll she was talk on the about week- that more later, but. Yvonne is a great character. Yvonne I can't is, wait to talk about her. Yvonne is a great character, but that is literally... We haven't even got to the end of season one, and that's the finale of season two. So, <laughs> let's go. Um, let's talk about... your. What is your favourite moment for this episode, Siobhan? 
my favourite moment in the episode is... Uh, is it, it isn't because... Uh, it's all the kids go to the house that they're having dinner in with Nancy. And uh, as they all... As they all flee, and the child's voice starts coming from the radio and from the phone and from the monkey, and it's just like, like it is a a moment of really pure horror cinema that is then shattered by Nancy trying just just throwing a vase at the door, <laughs> and that's the character. That's the character of Nancy, and I love it. I wish she'd thrown more vases. <laughs> I wish that house, like, had unlimited vases, and like, before every line she throws a vase, <laughs> no matter if she's in the house or not. Like when she runs into the doctor outside later, she just like has a vase and a coat and just throws at him, causing him to regenerate. And the most frightening thing about the empty child is that when the when the child comes to the house. Makes no attempt to hide. It just stands there at the window, face pressed right against it. Mm. I think I think that's the thing about the empty empty child is that it's its powers. The one thing I don't like about this episode is the is the empty child's powers are so inconsistent. Mm. But that adds to the horror of it because it it seemingly can do anything, um, and that and and is also not like it's not a stealthy child apart from when it suddenly disappears. Imagine um, if that was the episode title. What? The stealthy Child. Stealthy, stealthy Child. child. <laughs> Assassin's Creed, Empty Child. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think that scene is... I think I love that scene even more for the camera angles they use. They go like, they have sideways cameras. It's almost like it's 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 on a wobbly board or something that they're using to make it, to make it even more horror felt. Sure. Um, what's your favourite moment, darling? Okay, um... Did you just... <laughs> you darling? No, I didn't get uncomfortable, I just didn't... I'm not uncomfortable, I just didn't expect... I'm no more uncomfortable than usual. Just, just... I just didn't expect it. Taken, taken... Yeah, okay. Um, honestly, my favourite moment, as you can probably understand, is the Doctor's tight ten, um, when he's doing his open mic comedy set. <laughs> yeah. At the nightclub. <laughs> And we were watching it, and I, te- I texted, imagine this scene with um, the Seinfeld theme, this scene with the Seinfeld theme underneath. I want to see Nine, like, try to do observational comedy about time travel. <laughs> no, more than I want any other doctor to do that. <laughs> Why is that? Why Nine that specifically? Nice. Why Nine specifically? Yeah. Um, well, it's a mix of things. I think the tenant would be a bit hacky <laughs> 11 would be too verbose oh. and not like not authentic enough S- smith wouldn't be problematic enough no um capaldi capaldi would just oh no capaldi would go full malcolm tucker you can't do it no no he'd be like i, I think he'd be like alternative comedy like ben eltonish yeah yeah. Kind of it would, oh, yeah it would feel like and... a relentless attack if Capaldi's doctor did stand-up comedy. <laughs> but also, I'm not just talking about which one I want to see do stand-up comedy the most. It's the one I want to see do observational comedy <laughs> the most. Yeah. Mm. And, like, the ninth doctor is just the right level between bemused at everything human does, humans do, 
and kind of understands it, whereas I think Capaldi goes too far one way and Tennant goes too far the other way. Well, we have talking about this with Nine before. He's quite grounded as a doctor, as opposed to a lot of other doctors. Mm. Um, like he's, he's not clueless in how humans do things in the way that, like, Smith and Capaldi are. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, cause Peter Capaldi says a line that he was hanging around with otters, and he was like, that's comparing them to human beings, like, of, it'll be fine, I'll be able to work in a school. And then Matt Smith eats fish fingers and custard. Like, and then, whereas this doctor, it's like, you, this doctor can be on Earth and blend in. Because he does. Yeah. You see him throughout the first episode just being a weird man, but predominantly still defined as a cis, white, normal man until you find out he's an alien later on. Whereas Matt Smith, like, immediately he's odd. So, oh, he's the alien. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 exactly. that's definitely the alien in the room. I'd forgotten also how condescending about just every other species Nine was. Every species oh that God. isn't a Time Lord. <laughs> in Father's Day, he um, repeats calling humans stupid apes. Which is, cr- which is crazy. Like, when he gets annoyed, that's his go-to. <laughs> which, you know what? He's a 900-year-old man. It makes sense. He's cranky and a little racist against everybody. <laughs> Not cats. <laughs> not cats. Not cats. And not 19-year-old blonde women. <laughs> I love that line that David Te- that Martha says in season three of like, um, it's like, it's it's like, oh, so she didn't leave Rose. Not, well, not if, you, not if you're a blonde. Oh, she was blonde. That makes more sense. <laughs> um, that sums up Rose. is still a bit racist. It sums up Rose's character in a nutshell. It's like... Rose, Rose being loved with the fans is because she's a 19-year-old blonde woman, as well as well as the fact that Billy Piper is amazing. I, th- I, th- I think people like her because she's cool. Cool and hip. Cool. She's and... down with the kids. <laughs> I hate it. Just that. like us. Yeah, just like us. Yeah, people, people who are down with the kids always say the phrase cool and hip. Um, <laughs> what is... What is um, oh, I haven't said my favourite moment. Um, no, you haven't. Yeah, no, yeah. what is my favourite moment? It's a good question. Um, In the episode. I I think my favourite moment is, I think the moment where Jack, Jack opens the bottle of champagne um, on, on top of the spaceship. I think that, I think that's like the whoa thing he does is just very charming and very fun. And that whole sequence, although it's, it's a very odd sequence, and as Charlie and me were talking about, the fact that he turns on Be- Big Ben is fucking stupid. Oh my god, like, In why? the middle of an air raid. Why would he do that, lighting up his ship in the middle of... <laughs> it's right there, uncloaked. A, lighting up his ship. B, doing exactly the same thing that, like... Like, it's just going to cause the Germans to come and, like, oh, I wonder why Big Ben's operating. Let's go and bomb it. Like... Stupid, stupidest, stupidest thing I've ever heard. Um, but in general, I really like that scene because it 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 both shows Jack as equal parts charming and equal parts sleazy, which for this episode is really important because you need to sell him as the anti-villain at the end of the episode because the reveal at the end of the episode that he is conning them. It's it's good because you get that sleaze in that scene, and I like and I like the way that John Barrowman plays it. But not just um, anti-villain; like he's in a lot of ways. He is the antithesis of this doctor. Mm. Like, this doctor isn't particularly charming. Jack is. This doctor kind of knows to keep it in his pants. Jack doesn't. And we were talking about this, um, I think, in a previous episode, but the fact that Tennant and um, John and Jack, I did it again, Tennant and John Barrowman, um, <laughs> 
Um, ten, ten and Jack are much more um, equals and quippy, and they run together very fast. And they both um, have long coats. They both have both have long coats. They're both like sex icons. Whereas Nine and Jack are much um, complement each other much more because they both have things that the other don't have. Mm-hmm. I think that comes more. I'm not going to mention it as much to this week as next pose next week because this week we've only had two interactions between the Doctor and Jack. Um, two. Yeah. When he went, when he meets him in the hall, and then when they're oh, in, the, they're in uh, the room together. I kind of thought scenes that was rather than interactions. Right, yeah, I would scenes. say. Um, yeah. Um, least favorite moments. Uh, what what where, what are people's least favorite moments? Roses on that rope for way too long. <laughs> Like what? What is going on with her arms? Arms of steel. Um. I did think that Rose, like Rose, being on that rope for so long, ruined Doomsday, because if she can, if she can hold on to a rope for like I don't know an hour, because <laughs> like, a lot happens in that time, um, she can hold on to uh, hold on to one of these switch things for, for five, five minutes. minutes. Yeah. Yeah, how is it so hard? How is it so hard? She gives herself second degree rope burns, but she does it. She does it across the entire London skyline. Yeah, and this this blimp is going very... This blimp is also not like... It's amazing how a blimp in London, which is adrift and got no, no propulsion, is perfectly going on a, on a straight and narrow track, perfectly along, with no wind whatsoever. All Rose is doing is that she's hanging like she's on a fireman's wheel. Wheel? No, pole. But even the amount of time in the episode that she's holding on to the rope. That's a good, like, five minutes in the episode. Five, ten minutes in the episode. Yeah, it keeps on cutting back to her. It's like, nope, still in the air. Still yeah, in the yeah air. she's still there. She's still there. Like, even if you, like, you took it as real time, that's still an achievement. But considering how long it would take Captain Jack to go up to his ship. Which, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Does he... Was his ship always at Big Ben? In which case, how did he get there? So where do you think he was based when he's looking at Rose out out of the thing? Do you think that was an army down, barracks? Down, yeah, down the road. Down the road, yeah. Down the road from there, yeah. Um, also, she was flapping around a lot. It's not like she was kind of holding on and kind of conserving her strength. She was using a lot of energy. She was wiggling her legs a whole mm. bunch on that rope. Good for, good for us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Good for Captain Cap- Jack. Good for Captain Jack getting a, yeah. The the sleaze does come through when he does that good good tight zoom on her butt from <laughs> the first time he sees her. Yeah, that is the first. It's the first thing, thing we see him do. It. What's also weird about that is those are quite baggy jeans. Yeah, those are ugly two thousand and five jeans. You can't see any button those. But he's imagining no. a butt. Mm. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I like denim. <laughs> I bet that Jack has got some like fucking like contact lenses that makes him see through see through the. Oh, that's a whole other thing. I don't want like, to think about that. I, I don't know. I, that's the kind of shit that that sleazy horror man would have. <laughs> I just think and he fucked a denim creature. A denim creature. Oh, oh god. Oh god, a creature made of denim. Now that is that is that's there's there's more than there's more than rope burn. That's that. what I want for Christmas. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> I now feel sick. Um, my least favorite moment is the last mummy of the episode, where the, the the climax of the episode, where all of the people in the hospital are saying mummy as they're backed into a corner, and like the last couple of mummies from the the extra cast are just 
a really like lacklusterly delivered like mummy mummy <laughs> like, just like, we win to nations it's like they didn't know anything about the episode yep and then like there's just one stray mummy at the start of the title sequence and i'm like that just what why <laughs> that's just just bad editing stop it um Apart from that, the only other thing... Oh, and the other thing I don't like, and I'm, I, I love this episode in general, I just need to be more pernickety than usual, because there's not, like, big things I get annoyed about. The, the specs that he uses to see into the into the Albion Hospital. Where When have we ever seen the Doctor use high-powered alien binoculars before? Never before or after. Also, I don't... I imagine that whatever the readout says in the binoculars is, is, is probably in Gallifreyan, but it doesn't seem like it's useful. It just seems like cogs turning around the image. Yes, exactly. It, they look like binoculars. Yeah, they're just they're just binoculars. <laughs> they're not like they are doing anything special. They're not different to. They don't see through things. You could just have ordinary binoculars. Yeah, they 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 aren't like thermal vision or like X-ray vision. They're just binoculars. They can use any binoculars. Yeah. Whereas you get the sense that Jack's ones are a bit more sciencey. Yeah, Jack's Jack's going around. In fact, I will say that Rose keeps um, saying, "Why can't the Doctor be more be more Spock-like?" And you know what? Yeah, why doesn't the Doctor ever just scan for alien technology? But I, I've heard that line now three times. I'm like, yeah, that does bug me. Why does he just scan for alien technology? <laughs> Can he do that? Have we shown, like, he can do that? I feel like the TARDIS could, because it can do pretty much whatever it wants to do. That's true. The power of the TARDIS is very inconsistent. <laughs> but I always... Well, it's also like the Doctor always seems to... It's, it's almost like he's showing off rather than like, I'm going to do this all myself with a screwdriver and a whistle. Yeah. Or something like... And <laughs> that's, like, it's very, it's very, very weird. Like, like he's just, he's just showing off for Rose. So he's like, oh, I don't... He's being... He's being the very toxically male <laughs> with that viewpoint. What is like, gonna... Why did you address that at me? I I didn't. Sorry, oh, sorry I, I didn't think... mean to. I just, he is mean to an alien uh, MacGyver. That's what he is. He, he goes around yes. like the alien MacGyver because MacGyver again. The problem with no, the problem with that is that MacGyver made gadgets from what he found. The Doctor sometimes just has gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> he's the alien MacGruber. Yeah, in the crewer. What's your least favourite moment, Siobhan? I've been telling you to pinpoint something I don't that really bugged me about the episode. By and large, it's a really, really good episode. Yeah, it's. I, I find something like small and nitpicky because it's, but it's, it's a really well-made episode. Oh, actually, here's one thing I don't like. Um, it is very scary, but logically, doesn't make any sense. Uh, Sometimes scary things will be happening. The, the empty child will like be making scary things happen, and characters will wait just to sort of gotcha someone. Like when, like when the doctor, when Doctor Constantine is like, they're not. He just keeps trolling the doctor, being like, yes, yeah. yes, yes. These are the symptoms. They're not dead. Hits bucket just to fuck with the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that I don't like it. I'm just like, but why wouldn't you just tell him? This seems important, and you're dying, and. You <laughs> Well, also, Dr. Co- Dr. Constantine believe like, gives the Doctor immediate power very quickly. He just meets this man and then is like, oh, well, you're, you, you're now in charge as I'm about to die. Cool. 
It's like he's passing the baton. <laughs> I suppose one doctor to another. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, I really I like Doctor Constantine because everything he says, in no, nearly everything he says is so like grim and arch and dramatic. But then, like when the empty child starts to take over, it's an amazing performance. But it feels like it it implies that everything that he was doing to be really sinister was an act was so over the top mm. because it feels like someone lose a different person is losing control mm. what do you think about the cgi on um the, the transformation because i think actually it's not terrible terrible yeah the cgi and the transformation there is only one moment where it looks hysterical and that's when the eyes start coming through because for just one second it is a hilarious googly eye creature until the mouse comes through. <laughs> yeah, I think they should have done the eyes last, and had his eyes like similar to like the Cybermen, and you have like the teardrop. Mm. Just mm. kind of have his eyes kind of like in terror as this is happening to him. Well, I think that I the, the next episode there was a the, one of the the soldier transforming oh, into God. the the mummy. That is amazing. I I don't know. If, I don't know if they just got a new the BBC like for that episode got them like th- half a more half a million pounds more. <laughs> but like it's so much better than that original version. Um, yeah, I, it, that's terrifying. But this this one it, it's good because he sells it. But it, it's and it's not and it is a really creepy concept. And so as a seven year old kid watching it at the time, I was like, oh. Also, I think it looks better in two thousand five. Yeah, mm. that's very true. But another thing I think that makes it a bit better is it's not like they're turning him into an alien that doesn't exist. The gas mask is a real thing. We've seen gas gas mask. It's not a creative thing. I think it is probably easier to superimpose something that does exist rather than create something totally new. Mm. It is... Uh, it, Richard Wilson, who played Dr. Constantine, as, as I said... Uh, I can only really see him as being Victor Meldrew. He is he is an amazing actor, but I just kept thinking, oh, it's Victor Meldrew playing this character and not Richard Wilson. Not that it was it was a bad thing, because he it, 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 the performance is excellent. And when he was saying the extras were saying mummy and it sounded a bit weak, Richard Wilson's mummy was not weak. It was very, very full yes, voice. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, speaking about your Victor Meldrew thing. I am very. I I've, I've not. I've not had that. With, I've had that a couple of times. But like, I've just watched the thick of it all four seasons um, <laughs> in the last week and a half, and I had never watched it before. And so I'm. I'm so 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 glad I hadn't watched it before watching Doctor Who because I, Malcolm Tucker is now so entwined with the Twelfth Doctor that I can't. I can't separate it now. It's it's a it's a bit. I love the show, but I'm like it's really annoyed me because because that, that it's especially season eight of Doctor Who when he's playing an even he's playing a grumpy doctor. Yeah, like that's an I I can't separate them now. I so season eight's his first season, right? Yeah, season eight's first season. I mean, I I think that it's a it's not a great season. Put simply, mm. um, so I think he breaks away from Malcolm Tucker. The more interesting the Twelfth Doctor gets. Well, that's yeah, yeah. So when when there's a viable alternative to fill that vacuum, then it then it works. And actually, I think 
what I love about Twelve is that he has the the biggest, I would say, the biggest character arc potentially outside of Tenant, but that's more of a downward spiral. Yeah, it's a downward spiral. Yeah. That's more of a downward yeah, yeah. spiral. Um, but Peter Capaldi's like he spirals up. Season ten, he's a goddamn delight. Why don't we save this? Let's save this for for a few years. <laughs> um, um, so, any Easter eggs you want to talk about? Okay. Um, my favorite one is Chula Warship. Now, do you know where that um, comes from? If you say Star Trek: The Next Generation, I will kill you. <laughs> no, <laughs> better. So, Chula is the name of a Mexican restaurant in London. Where Rusty Davis, Stephen Muffet, um, Paul Cornell, and Robert Sherman had dinner to celebrate Russell T. Davis become, um, getting the job of reviving Doctor Who. Uh, that is a very nice Easter egg. Another one is obviously the um, Captain Jack is the first LGBT character in any Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless um, you're counting the Doctor himself or themselves. But the yeah, do- that's very true. But the Doctor isn't at that point. The do- the only time... The first time the Doctor has shown sexuality is Paul McGann, and that's straight. And Chris Ruxton, likewise, up to this point at least. I, I, I would say, actually, I'm not less about sexuality and more about gender fluidity, and, as in terms of being LGBT. Yeah. Um... Because even though he doesn't turn into a woman at the end, it doesn't mean that he's not literally transitioning into different people every time he regenerates. Sure, but that's coding, not explicit. No, but I also think that when we talk about sexuality with the Doctor, like that's less explicit than the gender, I would say. And both are not explicit. But up to this point, he's only been a man. Yes, but that doesn't mean that you're still not transitioning. You're transitioning to another man. Yeah, but that's but that each of those different doctors has a very different um, different idea of their own gender identity. Every doctor's gender expression has has, has 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 been so radical that it feels the doctor has no fixed gender expression. The doctor's gender expression changes as Will says; it is always in transition. So it feels like while while Jack Harkness is the first explicitly LGBT character we've had on Doctor Who, the doctor has always sort of been, if we're talking about queer theory. A queer figure. Uh, obviously, I I only know so much. I only know so much about this, but the way I see it, just because he's changing his gender expression, his gender has always stayed the same up to that point. But then again, Time Lords, we're thinking about this like humans. We know that Time Lords don't mm. really, because we see them change from men to women to they, they don't really have a gender. As sure. You think of it. But is subtext the same thing as representation? No. <laughs> no, J.K. Rowling. No, it is not. not. And that, <laughs> no, absolutely. absolutely. Um, you give me that gay man on the page, you don't give me him at all. I don't... <laughs> did, I, did I say explicitly? No, no, no. You said just said LGBT. But, but you, you said LGBT. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was a mistake on my part. Is the first person who expresses sexual interest in someone of the same sex. And that is mm. groundbreaking for the show. A big deal. And we didn't need to shout me down quite as much as we did. No one was no, shouting you no. down, Charlie. Take off your no sad face. No one was shouting face. you down. The, oh, the, the, you. Those, listening can't, those listening can't see Charlie doing his, his classic downtrodden puppy dog. <laughs> 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 
Um, I, I'll be honest, I don't have any Easter eggs for this week. Uh, I think I have a few more. Please go on. Um, can I quickly, before you do a couple of Easter eggs, can I ask, a, can I go on a quick tangent? Um, yeah. Um, what we've just talked about. Fine. Um, as as a gay man, Siobhan, and as a gay man myself... You're gay? Oh, crazy. <laughs> um, yes. Do we... Do we... Do you think there is a reason that the fandom for years and years and years has attracted um, the LGBT family, not just gay men? Um, do you think that the... Do you think it comes with the campness of, of what the sort of classic Doctor Who? And do you think that's, that's spread over into the new series? Um because it, because I think that for me there was a, there was a queer as folk when it when the the guy is also a Doctor Who fan, and Rossi Davis has talked about a lot of gay men being really really impassioned and emboldened and become more creative because of Doctor Who. So I was wondering if you have any any reason for that apart from the show's just goddamn campy. There there is something about speculative fiction in general science fiction fantasy that really draws in lgbt people there's something about mm. that genre of fiction about its ability to uh, not just not just escapism but also about because in lots of these stories there there are characters that have secrets about their identities from not maybe not even everyone but from other people or there is playing with their identities a great deal and i think that that kind of uh, is something that you recognize as a even as a very young queer person that oh the doctor says he is these things he has all of um he meets people who have these different identities that how to put it how to put it the Doctor is an alien. The Doctor is different. He's always different. Wherever he goes, he is different. Because he's not just an alien, he's the last kind of alien of his, of, of his species. So it's that kind of uh, mm. recognising a character whose difference is so total, but is so exciting and positive and is a hero, is, uh, I think, is something that queer people identify with really strongly that celebration mm. of his difference and his difference is being often what means that he succeeds. Yeah. And I think there was a point that you, you were talking about a couple of weeks ago, which is like the doctor is a hit and this applies for both um, straight and LGBT, but like the doctor is a figure that doesn't use strength and muscles to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of queer people that's really resonates with them about using wit to get ahead. Um, as opposed to brawn and muscles. That's a really great. That's a really great point because the Doctor, despite for most of the characters who've been around being presented as male, has mostly not used what we think of as masculine modes of action. Hmm. Yeah. And there's also that the old series wasn't sexualized as well. So yeah. you had a Doctor who was not didn't who was a it was a hero who didn't have a romantic subplot so you could put on to him for, as a as a young fan i suppose more romantics more of a uh, this is a complete i i wasn't around for watching old doctor who so i don't know i did watch old doctor who before i got into new doctor who but only a couple of episodes but the fact that he was non-romantic 
was was I suppose was quite a big thing because it does it's it's not a main character being in another straight relationship. But but also every doctor, every doctor from Troughton onwards, has a non-traditional male role. Hartnell is a bit different because A starts off as a grandfather and then he continues to have a sort of traditional grandfatherly relationship with his companions. Mm. But Troughton, I know some people say that Troughton is like an uncle or. Davison is like a big brother, but even that, it's a stretch. Not, it, it's there are moments of it, but it's not what defines that doctor. And I think there's something very uh, wonderful about this. And I also wonder whether or not that's almost a weakness of um, the Eighth Doctor that he is too much of a Hugh Grant type, that he is too much of a traditional male hero. In, in the TV film, obviously in. He, he develops a lot through big the big finish, but just from what we see in the televised version of that character, maybe one of the reasons why he doesn't work as well is because he is the most traditional male figure to play the doctor since Hartnell. Yeah, and he's not, and he's also more overtly actually romantic and sexually inclined. I mean. Yeah, he's he's the he's the first doctor to get a snog. Um, the the line, the line in Queer as Folk is like he lists all the doc. Aidan Gillen lists all the doctors and then says, "But what? But what about number eight? And says number eight doesn't count because that was a TV movie. And I wonder if that's because of that. That's not just because it was bad because it, it was it, also because we also if it if it was a good film that would just be part of the film. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's not bad because. They did something different with the Doctor. Siobhan, go, Siobhan, when it comes out, go back and to listen to our Doctor Who movie podcast. It's the first ever podcast we recorded, oh, and it is fucking hysterical. <laughs> watch the movie because it's. I mean, if you've never watched the movie, watch it because it is the weirdest. Oh, I spent, I spent a lot of time trying to not watch that Eighth Doctor movie, and only seeing clips of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric Roberts is great. <laughs> Well, I think you might have missed the jizz snake, and I'm ready for you. To the, watch jizz the jizz snake. snake. Goodness. It's a snake made out of jizz. Like... That, well, it's the master actually. As but a snake made out of jizz. Honestly, it looks like jizz. <laughs> just on a on a total tangent. Just having mentioned Eric Roberts, I having mentioned <laughs> Eric Roberts. So it's a tangent of my own thing. He recently appeared in a fan made short film about the superhero Gambit and he plays the villain. Really? Yeah. Watch it, it's on YouTube. Huh. Well I know And it doesn't star Channing Tatum, surprisingly to me. <laughs> oh that movie's never that's never happening. gonna happen. <laughs> Poor Channing. Happen. He really wants to be Gambit, but no one's gonna let him. Is <laughs> <laughs> it me or was it bad casting in the first place? It was it was yeah. always bad casting. Albion Hospital is the same hospital where the space pig is found in um, Aliens ah. London. Which is not a real hospital and neither is Limehouse Green Station, which I just googled. I don't know why they don't mention real stations. Is that weird to you? Yeah, I, I thought it's, it's, like, it's like... Do you have to pay them to mention a real station? <laughs> it was publicity for... Because <laughs> they needed it. Um... How are we going to get around in London? It's like it's like East End. Well, I suppose East Enders is a fictional place, so they have to kind of fictionalise the thing. East but... End is a fictional place. 
We are I've in never... this tent. <laughs> we are literally Prove here it. right now. Prove it. Right now. Prove I am 10 minutes away from Linehouse Green Station. If that was a real station, I would be 10 <laughs> minutes away. Uh, um, Coronation Street's real. I've seen it. It's just not in Manchester. <laughs> it's in Hull. Is it really in Hull? I mean, I'm sure there is one in Hull. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to think. Do you have another Easter egg? I mean, Nancy about quitting acting? That's not really oh, Easter egg. It's not really Easter egg, but an interesting fact. Uh, that um, actress, Florence Hoth, um, is fantastic in this episode, but um, quit acting at the age of 24. Her last on-screen credit was Lost in Austin, where she played Kitty Bennett. So it's a shame, but, you know... I hope she's doing all right. Yeah, hope she's doing all right. Whatever she's doing now. Yeah. Uh, we don't know that it was anything terrible. It might just be she didn't fancy it. Or she might have gone into a different part of the industry. Well, prove it. <laughs> um. Uh, no, an- another another Easter- a big Easter egg um, is when the doctor says, um, "I was a father and a grandfather, and now I am neither, but I'm still a doctor." In reference to the Blitz and the war, and the doctor says, "I know the feeling," which is, is a reference to losing family, but also, in some ways, a subtle reference to the fact that he had a granddaughter at one point. Yeah. He says that with Nancy earlier on. I can't remember, I can't remember what he says. That's a very good point about the grandmother. Sorry. I, I just... I, Grandfather. I, grandmother. Grandmother. <laughs> oh, my God. The doctor is a grandmother. Do you know what? I would love to see that dynamic. I'd love to see a grandmother to Susan, like, come back. Like, Doctor 14. Susan comes back. And it's Miriam Margulies. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, oh, sorry. Just, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather... I just queened out about Miriam Margulies. I just, I just got so like, gay excited. I was like, you said the word Miriam Margulies! I started flapping. Actually, I, pr- I prefer Miriam Margulies plays Susan and Jodie Whittaker plays the Doctor. Yeah, that would be nice. I think that that's be, more interesting. That would be more interesting, yeah. So, so let's, go on to, let's go on to rating this episode. Siobhan, what would you give this episode out of nine? This episode is a solid eight out of nine, and it's lost one point because as I, eight as out I of keep nine. saying, Billy Piper's t-shirt is hideous. It was hideous two thousand and five. It's hideous now. Um, yeah, I, I, I. The one thing I'm happy about is that it wasn't a British flag, and then Punky Fish wasn't written. <laughs> like I'm happy that at least it was just a block tick. That's important. Um, um, sidebar, the best outfit that Rose wears in season one is her long game outfit where she's wearing a red jacket and then black stripes down it and her hair's up. It's cool. She looks like a fucking Mortal Kombat character. <laughs> awesome. uh, but this one is not that good. Um, I completely agree. Charlie, racing? You know what? I think... Part, I want... I don't know whether or not it deserves it because there are stuff that maybe doesn't work so well. But partly because some of that can be put down to the time in which it was made and the technology that was available I want to just to be contrary give it a 9 oh okay um, and just because I've not given any a 9 before and this was the first one I was like this is a really good horror story yeah yeah. and unlike so many other episodes of Doctor Who it uses in this first season it uses its budget pretty much perfectly minus the cgi yeah. but minus cgi uses budget pretty much perfectly they think they, they choose to they choose to buy the right things and they choose to focus on the right things to make it look crafty and war-torn without making it look 
Overdone. Overdone, exactly. It reminds me so much of The Exorcist, and that's an amazing film. Um, and I think it took just the right amount of influence from stories like that without making it feel derivative and having definitely a sci-fi edge to it. I will say, though, that I, I want to withhold the right to review my rating <laughs> next week when we do Dr. Genesis. Okay. Uh, I give it an 8 as well. Um, I also really want to race an episode 9 this this season because so far we're like so close but not there but um, I think potentially next week with the Doctor Dancers might, what, what might else, be my first what else 9 what got an 8? is Dalek the only one the other one that's got an 8? yeah and I think we, we took we took away the points for Adam I think Alex Wilcox gave Dalek a 6 I have a I have a I have a memory that he gave it a really low score oh that's tall <laughs> <laughs> um so Siobhan, uh, it, it's been an absolute it's been lovely having you, pleasure thanks. having you on this podcast. Um, have you got anything to plug? Um, you don't. If if you want to plug, literally just like a plug, you can plug anything. Do you have plug, a plug? Yeah. Do you have a? Do you yeah, plug plug a t-shirt? Do you, do you like I don't know plug something? Well, for the last two years, I've been writing a tabletop RPG with the big man Alex, Alex Wilcox, as you as you may know. Oh well, there we go. So. That's very good. That's a double plug because Alex Wilcox did not plug a single goddamn thing. Because so he you, has you... modesty, unlike you. <laughs> no, I think it's more because we, we didn't ask him the question. <laughs> You've um... suddenly decided to ask guests for plugs. <laughs> well, I thought it'd be a funny segment of like a non-plug of like plug this windowsill. Um, I don't know. We need listeners for people to want to plug stuff. We need to stop making that. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um. If we believe we will have listeners, we will have listeners. Absolutely. Um, and also, I, I will look on the analytics of Anchor. There is a there is a sixty year old man from Germany who has listened to this podcast. Hot damn! Hot damn! We are international. <laughs> yeah, international podcast without borders. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, it's good. A goodbye from us. Follow us on Doctor Whocast on Twitter. Uh, best place to view this podcast on uh, Spotify, but it's also on SoundCloud, uh, Breaker, Stitcher. Breakbox, I think it's called, not Breaker. Um, uh, Pocket Casts, um, all these new places. So go and have a listen. It's really fun. Bye. 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 Next time. Will Charlie ever meet this podcast's singular fan, Pam? Hello, Pam. Will I ever enjoy Rose's jeans? The answer is probably not. Jack is a liar. And will Will's joke about rose-tinted glasses ever land? Tune in next week to find out. I know I will. I have no choice. I've already been.